I'll be reading from Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. If you wish to follow along, it can be found in our Pew Bibles in the New Testament, pages 70 to 71. A Samaritan village refuses to receive Jesus. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent his messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus was, uh, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And on that trip, he chose to pass through Samaria. The choice in and of itself to do that was unusual. Most devout Jewish men of his time would, uh, if at all possible, go around uh, Samaria. Uh, often they would go to the trouble of crossing the Jordan River and going down on the east side of it and then coming back across to Jericho to go to Jerusalem. That way they didn't have to pass through the Samaritan territory. Jesus, uh, when he was going, realized that for whatever reason he was going to have to spend the night somewhere in that Samaritan territory. And rather than sleep out in the open, he said, well, I'll, I'll stay in one of the villages. And he sent some messengers ahead of him to secure a place to stay. Jesus was not one who did his ministry in private. And I imagine the people of that Samaritan town had heard of him. Uh, he was well known for his healing, the things he had done in Galilee. Uh, initially, I think the people would have been really pleased to have someone there who could do the healing that no others could do. I'm guessing that there was some excitement also that uh, uh, came out of the rivalry between the Jews and the Samaritans. 
they were going to have this well-known Jewish rabbi stay with them. Uh, it was, in a sense, it was a way of, for the Samaritans to snub the Jews uh, who refused to even cross into their territory to say, oh, look, here's this guy doing all these wonderful things. He's choosing to stay with us. Uh, whatever it was, the, it was something that they could be uh, happy about and proud about. But then somewhere in the course of the events, they discovered that Jesus wasn't going to stay with them more than just overnight. And that upset them. I imagine that uh, they were thinking something along the lines of, he's just using us. Uh, we wouldn't even be noticed if he didn't need a place to stay uh, on his way to, and they would have found it hard to even say the word or distasteful on his way to Jerusalem. You know, that kind of thinking is pretty common. Uh, the reaction is, is also uh, pretty common. Uh, if someone doesn't value us, then let them find someplace else to stay. Uh, we don't want to do anything that will help them to be comfortable. And, and so they canceled his reservation, in effect. He was informed that he didn't have a place to stay after all. Now, I think any of us would be somewhat angered by that attitude. Carol and I are on our way south from here. That's why I didn't bring Sirius along, because we're going to be doing things, and, and our plans got messed up because of uh, my son's mother-in-law's death, but we're still going down uh, to Indiana tonight as soon as we finish here. And I think I would be really angry if I got down there and the people at Pokagon State Park, which is where we're staying tonight, said, well, we found out you're going to Indianapolis and we don't want you to stay here if you're going on there. You know, stay here longer, but if you're not going to do that, then you don't have a place. Well, I imagine most of the followers were angry at the treatment given them by the Samaritan village. Uh, they would have been tired. Remember, this is not just a comfortable drive. This was walking that they were doing. And uh, now all of a sudden, when they thought they were done, they had to go look someplace else. And it's James and, and John, his brother, who, who are the ones who speak up. The two brothers wanted to teach those people a lesson. They were aware of the uniqueness of Jesus and the power that was with him. And they asked if they could call down fire and destroy those ungrateful nobodies. I think the reaction is probably pretty uh, normal uh, when someone does something to a friend. And, and in this case, it was to a friend and to them themselves. Uh, they wanted the offender to regret it. After all, it wasn't fair. If they couldn't find another place to stay, uh, the result would be that they would have to spend the night in camping in the open. And it seemed to be an inborn part of our nature to wish fairness and to want those who are unfair uh, or who hurt us to be hurt in return. Well, when all this happened, Jesus had a rebuke ready. However, his rebuke wasn't for the Samaritans. It was for James and John. Jesus said they were the ones who were out of line. Being a follower of Jesus means that our behaviors have to be different from what would normally be expected. Revenge is what's normally expected. Jesus calls on us to show mercy. In the scripture passage that was read, uh, following this incident with the Samaritan village, and, and uh, perhaps I should say this incident with James and John, there are three encounters with people who want to follow Jesus. Uh, 
And these encounters highlight what it means to follow Jesus and how it's different from just doing what seems natural. They sort of, to me, amplify what, what he said to James and to John. In the first case, a man comes to Jesus and says that he's willing to follow Jesus without reservations. I'll go wherever you go. But Jesus, in response, says that I don't have anywhere to go. There's only, there is no place where Jesus would be able to lay down his head and say, I'm home. It just wasn't that way. Was the man willing to go that far? The next man was actually approached by Jesus, and Jesus asks the man to follow him, but the guy explains that, well, yeah, I'll follow you, but I have something I have to do first. What he had to do was a very important family ritual, the burying of his father, and that wasn't something to be taken lightly. And I think any reasonable person would agree that he had to take care of his family first. I think that probably would be true today as much as it was then. But what Jesus said was the dead could bury their own dead. The call to follow was right now. And despite what it might mean in the future, the only acceptable response would be to follow Jesus. Following Jesus was more important than anything, even the burying of one's father. In the third case, Jesus is approached by a man who says that he will follow on one condition. Jesus had to wait while the man said goodbye to his uh, family. And again, that isn't an unreasonable demand. You don't want to go off somewhere without letting your family know you're okay and, and what's going on. But Jesus responds that following him has to be without conditions. If the man was to follow Jesus, the past must be in the past, and the future must be only following Jesus. Now, over the years, I have heard these passages explained in different ways. I've, I've tried to explain them in different ways. And, uh, uh, you know, one being that the man bearing his father, that might mean a long delay. The father might not even be dead at that point. He'd just have to wait until he died and then bury him. Case of the man who wanted to say goodbye, it could have meant a long celebration. Uh, they were big on celebrating events like that, and the time, uh, it would be time for everyone to get together, and that would take time. But I think all those explanations really miss the point of what the scripture was teaching. It's not about the details there, it's about the overall attitude. The common thread running through these four incidents, the Samaritan village and the three men, in each case we are dealing with the concept of what it means to be called into the service of Christ. The call can come in a variety of ways, but, but we have to decide how we're going to answer it. And answering the call of Jesus will require acting in a way contrary to the common way of relating to our world. There's been a mistaken notion on the part of some people that that only pastors or missionaries or chaplains are called by God and that others are just Christians. You know, I don't, I, I'm just an ordinary Christian, not a pastor or something like that. Well, along with that notion is the idea that pastors and missionaries and chaplains are ones who do the real work of ministry. Everyone else is just there to support their work. Well, actually, nothing could be further from the truth. Each and every person who becomes a Christian is called to the work of the ministry. Some people are also called to the pastorate. Others may be called to mission service. There are others who are called to teach school. There are others who are called to be housewives and mothers. And there are others who are called to any number of occupations. 
But the primary calling for each and every one of us is to be servants of Jesus Christ. We aren't called to live a spotless and pure life. Indeed, living a pure life is desirable uh, for its own sake, but not a part of our call. We are called to give ourselves in service to the kingdom of God and nothing less. It's certainly not true that a person is called to be a Christian and then sit back and do nothing but uh, bask in the glory of the Spirit of God. Uh, there may be basking in the glory of God in heaven, although I tend to doubt that's what heaven will really be like. But here on earth, that's definitely not our calling. We are called to be active servants of the Most High God. And our salvation isn't just so that we can do nothing. We're saved so we can be free to carry on the work of the kingdom of God. You are called by God. The scripture plainly states that no one can come to the Father unless the Father calls him. If you're a Christian, you are one because God has called you. You may reject the call, but you become a Christian only in answer to the call. Think for a moment about how the people in the passage that, that I read uh, reacted to the, to the call of God. The call to the Samaritan village was to be of service to, to the master, and they refused to answer the call. And uh, we don't know for sure all of the details, but uh, one of the reasons was that their goals did not match the goals of Jesus. Many people don't acknowledge the call of Jesus because the goals that Jesus has don't match their own goals. We are called to follow and to be like Jesus. We are called to tell others of the Savior. Yes, we, we have our own goals, but if those goals get in the way, then we have to set them aside for the sake of the goals of Christ. You know, we may have goals to be liked by people, and that will actually get in the way. You know, we may want to be free from anxiety of, of people saying things to us, but that may get in the way. Our goal may be to be comfortable and, and not give up our favorite television program or other entertainment, but if that goal gets in the way of doing what Christ wants, then it's a problem. And I'm not saying that a favorite television program or other entertainment is wrong. I'm saying if it gets in the way of serving Christ. The question is always, again and again, does our goal match the goals of Jesus? We, like the Samaritans, want life to be as comfortable and easy as possible. It's okay for Jesus to be a part of our lives if we don't have to give up our goals. In the case of the Samaritans, the goal was to keep themselves separated from the Jews and to let the Jews know that they weren't welcome. Samaritans had a long-standing feud with the Jews, and a great Jewish teacher was welcome only if he wasn't using the village as a way stop on the way back to Jewish celebrations. It's okay for Jesus to call us as long as the call doesn't demand that we do something that goes against our prejudice and our feuds. It's okay as long as Jesus doesn't lead us to work with the minorities who, who don't deserve our consideration or refugees who want a better life. It's okay as long as we don't have to deal directly with uh, what we might call the sexual perverse or with alcoholics or drug addicts. We say it's okay with those exceptions. Those don't meet our goals. We say in actions, if not in words, that only then when our conditions for comfort are met, is it okay for Jesus to be a part of our lives?
But if Jesus demands too much, we think we can ignore the call and let him take up his lodging elsewhere. After all, if we need him, he'll come at our call. He loves us. Others see their call from the point of view of, of James and John. For them, it's a matter of pride to be a Christian. If anyone challenges our position as spokespeople for God, then we are too willing to call down fire on their heads. They will uh, call for the killing of, of gays or the killing of Muslims or the killing of, of uh, uh, anyone who doesn't agree with us. We may see our purpose as putting ourselves in the position of power, and we dare not let anyone shun us and go free. They have to be punished. Even today, there are those who, reject, who rejoice when something bad happens to enemies. Far too many Christians rejoice when our enemies suffer some harm. And if it is only one Christian who rejoices, that's one too many. If we have the courage to listen, the voice of Christ will still come to us. You don't know the spirit you're a part of. One of the things that happened many years ago that, that really bothered me tremendously was uh, when uh, Osama bin Laden was killed. And Facebook was flooded with people rejoicing at the death. And boy, we're glad to get rid of him. I'm not unhappy that he is gone and that something had to be done. But to rejoice in the death, that isn't Christian. It just simply is not. Christ was not rejoicing in the death of people. And if he had any reason to, Samaritan village would be a good chance. And he said, that's not the spirit that we are of. We are called to follow Jesus, the resurrected Lord who triumphed in obedience, even obedience to death on a cross. Some people receive the call of Jesus without counting the cost. There's no place of security on this earth for those who are Christians. We're strangers. We're passing through. In the end, we really don't have a place to lay our head. Are you willing to make that kind of commitment? To follow even if it means you will be homeless. It sounds easy to follow Jesus when you have the security of home and, and family around you. That, that doesn't require any special uh, effort. Uh, but he calls you to follow him where the only rest you'll get is a gift from those who really are not his people. He calls you to follow. The question is, will you? Jesus called one man to follow, even though it meant giving up traditional obligations. The young man who wouldn't bury his father would be, uh, would be as dead to the rest of his family. But Jesus was calling the young man to an irrevocable calling, whatever the cost. Jesus calls you to do the same. How often does the call of Christ conflict with the traditional things that we're expected to do? Which wins out? the call of Christ or the tradition. Still others of us follow Jesus only if he meets our conditions. We will follow if Jesus will wait on us to bid our families goodbye or if we can finish our careers. Uh, I've heard that many times. You know, well, yeah, I'm involved in this career. When I'm done with this, then I'll find some area of service, some area of ministry. How many of you have felt that the call of Christ uh, uh, to service and responded, you know, well, tomorrow or, or next year. And the question is, has tomorrow ever come? The call of Christ has to be answered in the present, here and now. 
And we cannot wait until tomorrow to respond. How has Jesus called you to serve him? In this time and this place. He's calling. The question is whether or not you're listening. In all the years that I've been involved with churches, I have never known anyone who wasn't called to service to Christ. At the same time, I haven't known any church where there weren't people who had been called to service and who hadn't responded. Maybe the answer to the call would cost too much, uh, uh, such as the rich young ruler did. It may be that someone doesn't answer the call because there's no security that comes uh, with that call. It may be that the call of Jesus flies in the face of what we consider as the way things are supposed to be done. For any number of reasons, Jesus calls us, calls people, and people don't follow. So I would urge you today, listen. Hear the voice of Jesus calling to you. Follow me. Join with me in prayer. Mighty God, you who in Christ Jesus has given us life and called us to follow, uh, to follow you, grant us the courage to answer that call with a yes. The task before us is great and we need your help in meeting it. You have promised to meet our needs. Help us to claim that promise and move out in faith. For we pray in the name of him who called us to follow him, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Let's turn to our, our uh, hymn, uh, Take My Life and Let It Be. Stand together as we sing.